1: hello everybody ben jarofsky here it's bonus time on the ben jarofsky show uh as i speak it is what day is it today d wednesday right the third day before the fourth of july d's getting ready to party like a rock star uh for the fourth of july uh but when you hear this of course it could be any day because it's the world of podcasts man that's what makes it so cool really happy to say um what's it it could be fourth of july 2020 it could be 4th of July, 2020. We're getting ready for a Bernie Sanders, Donald Trump showdown for president of the United States. Anything's possible. Uh, and uh, along those lines, I'd like to introduce my next guest, Bernie Sanders being a, a good transitions guys, uh, sort of a Bernie S- Sanders supporter for a long time. So we uh, on the bonus feature. We allow our guests to introduce themselves, give their name, uh, their identification. If they want to recite a poem, they can recite a poem. If they don't want to recite a poem, Poem. they don't have to recite a
0: poem or a rap song anything you want to do so guest introduce yourself i have no no rhymes no poems no raps <laughs> but i am um, the bosco Sankara, the editor and publisher of Jacobin magazine and the author of the socialist manifesto the case for radical politics in an era of extreme inequality out of every fine retailer near you
1: yes and the last time bosco was in the show his uh, return visit to the show. He lives in New York, but he's been in Chicago twice, and God bless that. He's on his show the second time. The first time you are here was on a book tour, uh, promoting the book. The book is still obviously available, so folks can buy it, read it, et cetera, and so forth.
0: Yeah, hopefully they let me do another one. I haven't seen any of the figures yet, which is either a good thing or a bad thing. You know, either they don't want to pay me a big, uh, cut me a big check, or the figures are so bad they don't want me to feel bad. So let's figure <laughs> out which one. Oh yeah, it could be one or the other. Um, all right, now there's a lot to talk about. Uh,
1: Bhaskar, uh and we can do Bernie Sanders. We could do polls. We talk about healthcare. That's on my mind. I got uh, some a few quotes from various New York Times columnists. I'd love to run by. Get your thoughts on. Talk about the state of democratic socialism. But before we do anything, you that uh, while Dennis is looking the other way, I'll have to ask you uh, really quickly, uh, in addition to be a, a Democratic Socialist, in addition to being a, a journalist, in addition to being an author, uh, in addition to be one of the leaders of Jacobin, you are a die-hard New York Knicks fan. God help you. Uh, I'm a beloved my my team at the beloved Chicago Bulls. Uh, we're both uh, mired in horrendous teams. Are you
0: happy with the uh, the free agency of the New York Knicks? I think it was fine, which is like a B minus. But consider that the Knicks are like a D student. A B minus is pretty good, you know. That that's going up on the fridge. This is one of the better off seasons the Knicks have uh, have had since I don't know since Ernie Grunfeld was our uh, G- for our hard Ernie GM. Ernie Grunfeld. If going you actually back. think about the two worst teams in the NBA right now, the yeah. worst situations are probably the Knicks and the the Wizards. And what do they have in common? Ernie Grunfeld. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and for ten trivia points, Bosker,
1: what a college did Ernie Grunfeld uh, graduate from? I have no idea. It was the University of Tennessee and he played alongside Bernard King and it was called the Bernie and Ernie Show. Oh. Only I would know that. Oh, oh, man. What a dork. <laughs> bernard king if you're a new york knicks fan was probably the greatest nick of the 1980s just throwing it out there new york knicks fans
0: pre injury yeah
1: yeah Pre-injury. for sure for yeah. sure
0: and uh and he was even good for a couple years i guess on the bullets after that after the injury yeah man yeah. could he shoot
1: anyway let's get down to politics enough sports talk uh let's talk some politics um uh, you're a fan of Bernie Sanders. We'll start with Bernie. Uh, the polls are very volatile. It's really hard to make sense of them. They seem to vary uh, from one day to the next. Uh, but what's your sense of uh, Bernie's place in the race uh, post debate?
0: Well, I think you've seen a flattening of the race after the debate, and it's really up for grads. I would say Bernie, Biden, Harris, or Warren seem like they're all contenders, and we'll just have to see how it shakes out. One thing about the race is that Biden was very far ahead. But people didn't particularly, they weren't compelled by Biden. I think one of the key things that Biden had going for him was this association with the Obama record. People still really like Obama. But now that people are starting to dig into the Biden record, the pre-Obama Biden record, they're not liking what they see. But they were willing to still vote for him anyway because you won't be able to convince Let's say a black woman You won't be able to convince a black woman who votes for the Democratic Party Your average black woman voter That Biden's a racist or a sexist When he's up against Donald Trump Because you might have some doubts About some things that Biden's passed But you know for a fact that the person in the White House Is among many other things A racist and a sexist So I guess the, the real Puncturing that's happening now Is that people are seeing him crumble During the debates They're seeing him commit gaffe after gaffe. Yeah, Biden. And, they're, yeah, Biden. Yeah, and they're, they're, they're starting to, I think, now question Biden's electability. And if that electability bubble bursts, what does he have left?
1: Yeah. In other words, yeah, I know exactly the point you're making uh, in that regard. This is a repeat of Hillary Clinton, where so many people uh, were telling me, don't vote for Bernie Sanders. He cannot possibly beat uh, Donald Trump. And so the pragmatic choice, the practical choice, what happens? She loses the Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so once it gets a repeat with Joe Biden, he's a pragmatic, practical choice. Uh, and if you doubt his electability, you're right. What uh, purpose would you have? So, so, yeah, we'll see what happens now. By the way, I'll. go take one step further uh it's a tangent here but let's take that step uh one thing i've noticed just having a talk show and having so many democrats coming in there's sort of a rethinking about barack obama now you were saying well there's a rethinking of joe biden people are taking a look at joe biden's past there's a rethinking of barack obama that's been going on for a while uh and uh many of the policies and initiatives of the of the obama years uh, don't seem so promising in this current democratic uh, cycle. The Democratic Party has moved to the left where Barack Obama was.
0: Yes, for sure. But also the environment is a little bit different, right? Coming out of the Bush years, certain constraints and pressures that he's, that he's, he's under. And that's why even Harris right now, she's getting under a lot of flack for some of her record as a prosecutor in some of her early days as a politician. Now, a lot of the stances she's taking I personally find it important. So there was this um her stance on truancy where she was advocating throwing young parents into prison, parents barely trying to survive and earn enough for their families if their kids uh didn't show up at school. Mm-hmm. All these other stances were, in fact, pretty common among Democrats in the 90s and 2000s. So what were generic mainline Democratic positions are now seen as kind of abhorrent positions. And this is a reflection of a really big shift in the party. And in theory, it should benefit Warren and Sanders. In practice, we'll just have to see how things pan out.
1: Now, one of the things many of my guests have been saying is that they sense that Bernie Sanders was a bit frustrated uh, after the debates on that point, And that is that he took the stands first he was the one who made uh it popular if you will to be a leftist to be a democratic socialist to uh talk about free college tuition and uh to talk about health care for all and now it's frustrating to him uh to watch other democrats echo him and he doesn't get the credit do you think that's a legitimate uh, point
0: well I would say that part of his frustration, what I saw during the debate, was him trying to figure out how do you get his, your message across in the platform. And he definitely was mediocre in the debates. Given that Biden was bad, it wasn't that big of a deal. <laughs> and in fact, yeah. he, he benefited from the debate in this in the sense that he didn't tank his support. Biden tanked his support, and a lot of the number twos for Biden people is in fact Bernie. So you know, it was probably a wash. But I think his frustration is more with the with the format. But yeah, I mean, with some of them. If they start saying the same thing as Bernie, then for casual Democratic voters who are who are just tuning into the elections right now, they're not people like me and you who have been obsessing over the, the set of candidates for the past few months, for them, their response will be, oh, I basically like all these people. And what Sanders has to do is to differentiate himself. And he doesn't really differentiate himself, I think, by taking more and more radical positions to the point that he's off the kind of spectrum and in kind of just fantasy land. I think what he has to do is say, my view of change and how change is made is different. You know, I believe that change is made when millions of people unite together and fight in a different Mm -hmm. way. I don't believe that change is made just by electing a president. So I think messages like that would really differentiate himself in the field. He didn't really hear it. Even, you know, he just had a few stumbles when he had slam dunks. He didn't, you know... He wasn't terrible, but, but I think he needs to sharpen up and make a better performance in the next in the next debate. Well, that is uh, the one point he made.
1: Uh, and it, it 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 really strikes against the cynicism that is so embedded in Marin politics. And I say this, Oscar, uh, having lived in Chicago for so long, there's such a prevailing cynicism in the city of Chicago as to what you can accomplish uh, as a voter. The old saying here is you can't beat City Hall. Uh, Bernie's response At the debate, and I I can't remember if it was a healthcare issue or tuition, free tuition issue was to say, uh, yes, we can make this happen. But we have to have I don't know if you use the word revolution, but we have to just have a fundamental change where the people unite to uh, defy big pharma and the powers that be, et cetera, and so forth. How do you think that kind of rhetoric plays uh, in America today, the America of Donald Trump?
0: Well, I think people are ready for for a change. And I'm of two minds. Obviously, my message as a Sanders supporter is that, yes, people want to hear this. They They want anger. They want to upturn the establishment. My only fear, to play devil's advocate, is the idea that after the change of 2016, after rejecting the establishment candidate and picking this buffoon that we have in the White House now, that people might want to return to normalcy. You know, people just want things to work. And often, when you're subjected to new forms of misery, the thing you want back isn't a utopia free of the misery. It's the familiar miseries of the past. (laughs) And I wonder whether that's the case for Biden, right? We know what we're going to expect from Biden presidency. For a lot of Americans, I have deep faith in the ability of Bernie Sanders to enact change and to break through a lot of the kind of gridlock and roadblocks that that have impeded progressive change in the past. But he's going to need to convince people who, who aren't already they the converted. And the thing he has going for him at the moment is that he has a solid 20% of the democratic electorate that I don't think is going to break with him. I think that 20% base that he has is more solid than the 20% base of any other candidate. Or He might even be the only other candidate other than Biden with a 20% base. The question is, can he win over the waffling people? Can he become the number two choice of Warren and Harris voters? Um, And if we're setting us up for a divided convention, meaning um, there's no candidate with the majority of delegates, but maybe there's Warren, Harris, Biden, and Sanders with delegates, Mm -hmm. is Sanders a natural compromise candidate, being the most far left candidate, being an older candidate, you know, the oldest candidate in in the race? So I think he needs to find a way to win outright and position himself in such a way that he's not only winning these early races um, in Iowa and elsewhere, but he's also convincing Warren supporters that he should be their number two choice.
1: No, oh, I just thinking about what you just said and the, the, the thought of a divided convention uh, a year from now in Milwaukee uh, with Bernie Sanders, Biden, Harris and Warren, um, I would think I'm just anticipating this. Of Oscar, there would be a stop Bernie movement, no doubt in my mind. Uh, the establishment of the Democratic Party would rear up. You, we cannot allow Bernie to be the candidate; he'll be a sure loss. I could hear the rhetoric already. I mean, just right now, the way you presented that, uh, and um, they may steal some of his ideas, but they will not allow him uh, to be uh, the front runner. The fight, like uh, with with all their power, against that. Do you do you, do you have the same sense
0: that I do? Then. Yeah, it's also funny because the Democrats already have a House of Congress, so it's funny because on the debate stage, all of them are are saying a lot of great things, or most of them are, right? But it makes it seem like them being in power just theoretical. In cities across the country, in states across the country, in the House of Representatives, Democrats have a majority. You know, where is this actual progressive action? So you could say a lot of things, you put a lot of nice things in your platform, but you actually have to be willing to fight. ...and get it enacted. So all of them, for example, are talking about financial reform. Now, I think Warren or Sanders would get it done. Why do I have some doubts about about Mayor Pete and about uh, Harris and others? Well, they're literally doing fundraisers with the banking industry. Harris just had um, the Wells Fargo, uh, one of the Wells Fargo executives... ...who was uh, behind the cover-up of their uh, fraudulent accounts um, scandal... you know, ...to host a fundraiser with her. So, you know, I'm I'm skeptical about that, obviously... When it comes down to 2020, the mission is get rid of Trump at all at all costs. But um, you know, we could see the nightmare, slow nightmare, kind of playing out right now. Uh, and to a certain degree,
1: I don't know if we followed this. There was a vote in Congress last uh, last week or a few days back. Nancy Pelosi was uh, incapable of getting through a provision uh, that would put uh, modifications on how Donald Trump spent money at the border. Uh, it was a, seen as a victory for the moderates and the the rep- the Democratic caucus, and they basically told Nancy Pelosi they were going to vote with the Republicans to pass it, so she had to go along with it anyway. Uh, were you following that one? Do you, do you yeah,
0: s- yeah. I mean, and, and it's just a sign that the actual party is, it's not that coherent. You know, a lot of the this, this shift is in rhetoric, and it's in discourse, and a lot of the Democrats that are that are really getting excited about their party are not paying attention to what their local officials are doing, or even in city after city where Democrats are the ones administering, you know, austerity. You know, you, you would you wouldn't think that if, if you're in a city like Chicago, obviously there's bigger things at play, but a lot of the problems at the state and local level have been born out of Democratic Party administrations. And we've been just caught with this blackmail because we know it'd be so much worse if Republicans are in power. But it's almost like the difference between one single, you know, chop off your head, that's what the Republicans get in power, or death by a thousand slices. And obviously I prefer the thousand slices because at some point on the count to a thousand, you might be able to stop it. But, you know, you can't really blame people for not wanting to turn out. And that's how the Democrats are going to win or lose the next election. It's going to be whether or not people turn out and vote. Because your average working class voter black, white, or Latino, is not going to vote for Donald Trump. That's not really in the main. Obviously, many of them will as individuals, but in the main, they won't be voting for Donald Trump, but many of them might not want to go show up and vote for a candidate they don't believe in. If they get off of work at 7, they don't even get the day off. They have two hours to wait in line. They have to take care of their kids. They have all these other things. You have to convince someone that it matters for them to to sit in that line and you know and wait uh, and uh, before we leave uh, completely uh, the
1: the previous the, the debates, uh, get your thoughts on some of the candidates. You, you mentioned four uh, uh, that I presume you think would are the most likely to be the, uh, the nominee, Bernie, Biden, uh, Warren and Harris. Uh, the four that you mentioned. I just took notes in here. Let's talk about some of the other fringe candidates. Get your thoughts on them. I'm curious. Uh, they're on the top of my mind. Marianne Williamson, what are your thoughts about her?
0: Well, she seems like a bit of a kook. I'm sure she's a very creative mind. Yeah, I actually don't know her work, but it seems like she, her presence in the debate did not seem particularly useful. And it kind of, I don't know. She seems like a bit of a crank politically. I have no strong opinions on her, strongly or positively, you know, positively or negatively.
1: Well, the the Republicans (laughs) strategists think that she's a detriment to the Democratic Party. And as such, they're advising uh, Republicans to donate to her campaign so that she'll meet the threshold to be eligible for the next debate. Uh, Do you share that view?
0: No. I mean, it's just one candidate among many. It's a huge field and people see the Democratic candidates that are actually in the media. If you think about all the kooky Republican kind of runs and bids, you know, Herman Cain and whatever else, like it wasn't a detriment to the Republican Party. And also... As Americans, we're kind of eclectic, weird, violent people. You know, we, we, we are very, very hard to offend and horrify. And somebody out there who <laughs> believes in like healing crystals and the power of the mind or whatever yeah. else is not really going to turn off Americans. In fact, there's probably a good 10, 15% of Americans that believe in her, you know?
1: Well, I, I have to say, uh I am delighted by her presence in the race. It's a conversation for another time. I may be like uh, the, the the few people in the uh, in the country who think the New York Knicks benefited from their recent free agency. That's how I kind of view Marion Williams and I welcome her participation. Uh, I know so many people. I have to tell you this, Oscar, who are like Marion. I don't know. Let me amend that. I don't know a lot of really successful self-help mm-hmm. authors who hang out with Oprah. I don't mean that way. But people who talk and sort of the rhetoric she talks, it's very familiar when I hear her talking. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's a person I heard at the uh, you know, at, at the restaurant about a week ago or so. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't view her with the fear that uh, you know some people do.
0: Yeah, yeah. Why, why not? I mean, I think we need to have a kind of system where we have different voices and some of the voices will appeal to people in different ways. But if you actually look at our policies, She's right where the middle of the Democratic field is when it comes to believing in health care some sort of reform, when it comes to making education more affordable and so on. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 not like she's out there advocating some sort of, like, crazy fascist future. No. Uh, no, and if she
1: were, she'd probably be running on the Republican side. Uh, all right, and another uh, a contrasting voice, but it's sort of on the fringes at 4% on most polls, Pete Buttigieg. What's your thoughts about Mayor Pete?
0: Well, he, I think, showed... What he is, and his, uh, you know, he's almost like a Manchurian candidate of like, well, you know this guy when he was in the military, not to, uh, you know, completely, you know, say his service was all calculated, but it, you know he had ambitions of higher political office. So he goes from the Ivy League to the military and then after that to kind of a rapacious, you know, corporation. He's in the business world, then he decides to run for mayor, and he has this kind of false naivety as he's running for mayor, but as soon as he's in power, he does kind of revitalization projects that the rest of us know is just gentrification and in the type of way that was actually quite mean-spirited the way they treated homeless people and obviously when there's development there's going to be a displacement and that's common with many mayors in many cities across the country but if you actually look at the accounts of the way homeless people were treated in south bend it seems like there was a particular kind of vitriol um, about it and you see it now with obviously the way he responded to the the police shooting in south bend and yeah, I mean, it seems to me he's what neoliberals think um, think we want. You know, let's let's walk it back. Let's run back the same formula, but this time we'll make sure it's someone younger, someone in the 30s, and we'll make him a vet. Well, he'll be gay, which will help in the primaries because he'll seem more progressive than he is. Because maybe some people will vote just on the basis of identity. I don't think that's true. If you actually look at how poorly he's polling, so it seems like he was cooked up by a. By a PR firm, but it's it's not working, which is really to the credit. And actually, if you think about these other candidates, I have my skepticism. I I don't like Biden, obviously, but Harris and Warren and Sanders. I mean, these are more compelling people, and they're rising to the top. Um, That should give us some hope, at least, about. The voters and what they're thinking.
1: Yeah. Well, I will say this about Joe Biden. Uh, From time to time, I feel compelled to defend him. Uh, And it's really hard to defend him uh, because many of his positions are uh, the opposite of what mine have been down through the years. Uh, But there is a practicality, a pragmatism of him as a person who's been involved for so long in so many fights. And he really does kind of represent the Democratic Party uh, of the last 30 years, constantly searching for some middle ground they can find uh, for electability, uh, Bosker. You know what I'm saying? Always trying to shift, find their place in the shifting winds, because it seems as though they're usually against a very powerful prevailing force coming from Republican propaganda machines. And I view Joe Biden as somebody just really doing his best to try to figure out a way of making basic democratic values a reality uh, in
0: difficult times. Do you think I'm being too generous to him? I think you're probably being too generous, but it's worth remembering that he's likable. People like him. You know, a lot of us on the left, a lot of progressives don't like Joe Biden, don't like his record, don't like his personality, don't like whatever else. But we have to understand that people do like him. And when we criticize him, we have to do it in a way that seems like it's substantive uh, if we i, I it's like we have to convince people, for example, that he's actually weaker than Sanders on Medicare and social security that he's unreliable on the things they care about. We can't just wage just culture war that says that you know Biden's a buffoon he's gaff prone he's not um you know, uh, respectful women's uh, space and you know, certain things like that are obviously, or seems to me to be obviously true. But when, when we think about how we're communicating to the probably one third plus of the Democratic electorate that's going to vote for him and the two thirds plus that actually like him, we have to modulate our rhetoric and the type of rhetoric that works online when it comes to rallying your base and denouncing another candidate doesn't work in face-to-face, day-to-day conversations. So I'll give him that much, but no more.
1: Okay, all right. I, maybe I am being too tolerant of uh, Joe Biden. Uh, and again, I say this, I, I it, it, it's been frustrating. I, I, I remember the, the role he played uh, in the Anita Hill hearings and his efforts to seem so, uh, what,
0: nonpartisan, it, it's almost naive. It is naive. Well, it's not, it's not naive so much. I really do think that he's someone who always wanted to be part of the club in an apolitical sense. He wanted to get along with his colleagues. He, you know, and all of these comments about him wanting to work with segregationists, senators and things like that. Yes, they've been somewhat overblown. But I think the important context isn't that Biden was an out and out racist, which I don't think was true. It is true. But I think what is true is that he wanted to be collegial, that he wanted to be part of the club. He didn't want to be ostracized. Bernie Sanders was an outsider from the very beginning, from the very time he got into Congress. He's hated by a lot of his colleagues. You know, that's why one reason why I do think it's going to stay pretty friendly between him and Senator Warren is that this is one of the few friendships he's had in the in the Senate and they do generally really like each other and like their co- each other's companies uh, both you know personally and obviously they agree with each other in a lot of policy but uh, but Biden never wanted that. He always wanted to be chummy he always wanted to be part of the club and that led him I think to just believe in this establishment that in fact a lot of Americans now at this point despise someone like Trump, you know this is a man who we hate his convictions but at least he has the courage of his convictions i'm not sure that biden is someone with the courage of his convictions in the same way and i think that might show up in a head-to-head matchup
1: yeah or i'm not even sure what his convictions are yeah, exactly
0: um all right now let's move on to
1: uh health care and uh, this is the bernie issue and i find this particularly frustrating love to get your thoughts on all this uh it's it's, I've believed for a long time that our health care system uh, is utterly insane. It's inefficient. It's impractical. Uh, it works to the great detriment of most people in this country. It's baffling. It's confusing. Uh, it's not in any way transparent. Uh, there's no reason, practical reason, why anybody would want uh, to keep it the way it is. I think that Bernie crystallized uh, some obvious truths in 2016 when he very forcefully and uh, uh, clearly, without any hesitation, said, we have to go to a single-payer plan, Medicare for all, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and and yet, there's this hesitancy on the part of so many people in the Democratic Party, uh, so many pundits, so many other politicians, and, and, and they they come back and they say, you cannot you cannot have a, a, a candidate running on replacing private insurance with uh, Medicare for all. You cannot. Yet the best you could say is we'll give people a public option. But you cannot. That's you're taking something from people that they want or believe in and replacing with something that scares them. When you hear that kind of rhetoric,
0: what's your thoughts? Well, if you actually explain to people that we want to keep your doctor, you can still see the doctors and specialists you see. The only thing we want to get rid of is this middleman that you have to deal with. You know, the middleman that charges you deductibles, the middleman that charges you a monthly premium, the middleman that you sometimes have to get referrals or pre authorizations from in order to just see your doctor. If we explain it that way, then a lot of people, most people in polls, 66% of people are, are ready to get rid of private insurance and i think we need to make very clear and also i think sanders needs to just remind people over and over again you know we're not going to interfere with your doctors you can still see your doctors we're going to make it easier to see your doctors and also we need to make clear that in fact this isn't a tax you know when when sanders gets a question well doesn't this mean it's a tax in the middle class he just needs to say no you know, he, he said the opposite. He said he the, the opposite. He said the, the opposite. It, it doesn't birdie. make sense. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't make sense at, at all. <laughs> um, so um, and I guess what he was saying technically is that, yes, it might be more of a tax, but you also have more savings. And at the end of the day, you'll have more money in your pocket. But if the net benefit, if the net effect is more money in your pocket, then it's not a tax. Yeah. And considering all the lies that Trump and other politicians have gotten away with saying you would think that Bernie would just be confident enough to just say, you know, the, the broader truth, which is that no, it's not a it's not a tax. But but I think that we need, I don't think people are very wedded to their insurance companies. Um, and also people who have Medicare might know there's actually an important role for supplementals. So my dad's on Medicare and I believe he has like an Aflac or something, you know, supplemental plan and I believe for dental and vision or whatever uh, whatever else. What we need to say is we want a robust Medicare for All that's going to actually have a lot of these supplementals built in. And I think the harder thing we need to sell is that I don't believe that we should allow private companies to sell supplementals. And I think that's the only part of the, the agenda that's actually probably unpopular now. I haven't looked at the polling. Uh, because I think if you just say you're going to take away 80% of the business of these private insurers, but you're going to let them exist in the rest of the 20%, mm-hmm. they're going to continue to make inroads to undermine the system. And over the course of 20, 30 years, all the good that we did is going to get get undermined. And we're going to get private insurance back by the back door. So, I mean, uh, I think that's probably the harder case, but it's it's not the relevant question right right now. People aren't talking about supplemental insurance. They're talking about, the you know, uh, capital P, capital I, private health insurance? Uh, well,
1: listen, I can tell you, I, I've uh, had a little fun with this over the last week or so This has been on my mind. I've been asking people about their private, uh, their insurance. Uh, it, it, this all began... Uh, Bosco, when I was watching a debate, and I think it was Amy Klobuchar said, or one of the the Democrats, I can't remember who it was, was cautioning the Democrats moving too far, too extreme, because people like their private insurance. I think that's what she said. People like their private insurance. So that got me on this, this mission to find to talk to people and try to find somebody who liked their <laughs> their private insurance. And I, I would ask people questions. I discovered one, most of them didn't even know uh, the specificity of their insurance. They didn't know what their copay was. They didn't know what their deductible, was some of them were a little unsure what the difference is between one and the other Uh, they certainly could not uh, figure out the cipher a bill that they'd got from the insurance company and they had no rhyme or reason as to why they had to pay some drugs cost more than other drugs that they got etc and so forth and even if they did quote unquote like their uh, insurance they recognized that if they lost their job they'd be out of luck completely without uh, insurance so I think it's a winning issue mm-hmm. for the Democrats, given that it's so obviously a bad system. And yet we will not be doing this in a vacuum. it would not be you just saying, oh, don't worry, people. This, this is not going to be scary. You're going to be doing this in front of a Republican propaganda machine that'll be relentless, talking about how the United States is heading down the path to Venezuela or something like that.
0: Well, they've already been doing it, right? They've already been hit. They already use that ammunition on Obamacare. That was their mistake, because Obamacare was basically their plan, and they used all the ammunition, they used all the attacks, I called everything Barack Obama. You know, a, a man for all his personal virtues is a you know, centrist. They used all his am, they are ammunition, calling him a, a radical socialist. So what are they going to do when an actual socialist is up against Trump? You know, the, the word has has less punch, less less bite than it used to. So I think when it comes to at least senator sanders and biden their favorability and unfavorability rate is basically what it'll be until the very end because almost all americans are familiar with them actually in a lot of polls more americans by a small margin are familiar it's within the margin error but uh with uh sanders than biden which is just baffling if you consider he was that is bizarre yeah years. um so yeah, I I think we're going to we're going to have these attacks, but the real attacks I think will be when we try to get a passed through uh, Congress. Because it's not just a matter of convincing the American public in a presidential election and they already hate Trump, so it's going to take a lot to convince them to vote for Trump. But all they need to do is convince 10 Democrats in swing states, 10 vulnerable Democrats in both both houses to break mm-hmm. with their their party and break with a, a plan that will give us Medicare for all or even a public option and instead settle for a compromise like investing more money into Obamacare, which could be another way of giving a subsidy to private insurance companies. And I think that's a real danger because, you know, people also don't like Obamacare, partially because of the the personal mandate. You know, they they feel like it's a regressive tax on On poor people. And obviously we know the intent of the policymakers was just to find ways to use carrots and sticks to get everyone in the same kind of pool to lower costs. We we know that the attempt wasn't malicious, but that's how it feels to most people.
1: Well, uh, you mentioned the insurance company. That's another point. Obamacare was set up right on a Republican model uh, in in order to uh, avoid the counterattack that the Clintons faced when they tried to put their health care plan through in the early 90s. And the insurance industry rose up angry. If... Uh, Bernie or Elizabeth Warren or Kamala Harris, I don't know what Kamala Harris, Kamala Harris seems to be a bit uh, like a flag in the wind on this issue. Uh, but if any of these presidents uh, try to implement a program that does cut the insurance companies out, it's not like the insurance companies are just going to roll over uh, and say, yeah, okay, we'll go out of business.
0: Uh, what do you kind of fight do you expect from them? Well, it's, it's literally existential. They have to fight. Actually, they owe it to themselves, uh, these these big CEOs. They owe it to themselves. They owe it to their families. They owe it to their shareholders to, to, to fight back to the nails. They don't owe it to the workers because of the Medicare for All um, actually has a provision for the transition of the, the actual working class people just trying to sustain their themselves and their families who, uh, who are working in these, these industries. And, you know, I don't blame them. I've worked for plenty of bad, bad companies in, in the past. Um, you know, um, briefly, uh, key foods, a terrible grocery store, uh, <laughs> back in uh, the day. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that, that, um, they're going to put up this fight. I actually think Harris is actually fairly reliable on the issue of healthcare, at least she has she had been up to this point. In many ways she was more consistent than Warren. Yeah. But now there's been kind of a reversal where she's been backtracking since the debate yeah. and Warren has actually actually stood very firm during the debate and has been trending in the right in the right direction and um yeah we'll see what 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 happens and how this will play out but you can't go the route of preemptive compromise and this was the important progressive critique of what president obama did he went in taking things off the table a public option even was not seriously on the table mm-hmm. and if you if you preemptively sit down at the table with companies and you say well this is what what we'll accept and it's It's giving them already 70, 80% of the pie. They're just going to ask for 90, 95%. Mm -hmm. And we're now responsible for the worst parts of the private insurance industry. So if you're a progressive and you're not for the immediate repeal of Obamacare, which I am not for, because that would mean people throwing off the Medicare, um, a Medicaid expansion Mm -hmm. and things like that. And also even other clauses that do matter in people's lives, like pre-existing conditions and so on. You know, you're now stuck defending a system that people associate with them paying four hundred, five hundred dollars a month for a plan with high deductibles that they can't even afford to use. Mm-hmm. So we're now in the worst positions where our <laughs> so called socialist healthcare yeah. reform is now associated with people paying lots of money meanwhile the money is all going to these private insurance companies that were rallying against this health reform to begin with so these companies have really you know have really benefited and i think they pushed too far you know if they maybe agreed to a better form of obamacare if they maybe took measures to fight this cost spiral it wouldn't have come to this point but it seems to be the medicare for all is an inevitability I wonder whether it's going to happen in the next five, 10 years, but I think it's inevitability in the medium term. And I think you'll see within the next 10 years, a large majority of Republicans even supporting Medicare for all. And you'll see a Republican candidate probably in 2024 come out, at least in the pack, somebody come out for Medicare for all. I'm sure. I
1: am almost at the point that I believe it's the equivalent of Nixon going to China, that it would take a Republican uh, because the Democrats, there's such a large contingent of the Democratic Party that is so scared of being viewed as a democratic socialist that they'll undercut the effort. This is the cynical part of me, the Chicago reporter part of me that's been watching politics play out in Chicago where Democrats are constantly. Uh, backtracking constantly selling out their values constantly selling out uh the key constituencies that they're supposed to be representing in the name of this larger good like we we're talking about with joe biden and uh i i could see that I, as as impossible as it is right now to predict that because I, I don't know if there's any republican in america uh who has a a, a health care plan, any Republican elected official, who even has a health care plan? Romney, I think is who invented Obamacare when it was in Massachusetts. Uh, he, even, he was against Obamacare. I don't know if there's a Republican, but you're right, as it's, it's impossible as it is to imagine. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was a Republican who came up came up with it. Do you know any Republicans right now who are advocating
0: for health care? Well, there's a lot of plans coming out. There was a Schumer plan. There's a few other plans cooking up, actually... In fact, uh, Mark Cuban, I know, is working on a health the
1: Dallas Mavs
0: guy. guy. I'm not sure whether this is public information yet. I'm not sure he'll mind. He sent me over a draft, actually. Uh, oddly enough, one of the stranger exchanges I had of the past week or so of a health care plan he's working on. And essentially, a lot of these plans, the gist of them, I won't go into the details of, of drafts or things like that, but the gist of a lot of these plans is we're going to secure 100% access. We're going to make sure everyone has health insurance but we're going to do it with lots of market mechanisms. And it seems like a complicated, wonky route with the best of intentions in some cases. is going to end up just like Obamacare. It's just going to be confusing, impractical, whereas the whole virtue of what Sanders and Harrison Warren and all these other people are signing on to Medicare for All is, is it's an existing system that covers a very large percentage of America. Mm-hmm. And we just want to extend it out. We know the logic of it works. And we know the model works in other countries like our Canadian, you know, friends. And we want to have that system and then also expand it out a little bit to cover things like dental and prescription drug coverage. And then we're still going to have to tinker with the system because there's a cost spiral. There's a there's a problem that's going on beyond just getting people covered. We need to find a way to make sure that the costs of hospitals, which will still be private under a single payer system, a lot of these hospitals will mm-hmm. be private, that these costs just don't continue to rise. One of the ways we'll control the costs is by having a single payer, by having kind of a big body that can negotiate with these, with these hospitals. Mm-hmm. But there's, there's other things at, at play. So I don't see it as kind of the, the end point. Then we also have to think about how do we fund our VA system? You know, the VA is a really interesting thing because the VA really did work for a while. the VA was kind of a system that was like our American national health service. It was like Mm -hmm. what they have in the UK, the government would provide for those who've lost, you know, been injured in in wars would provide them with quality care. The care would be provisioned by the government. They'd be not have to worry about pay. It'd be high quality and it's not charity. It's something that they earned through their service. That was the logic of it. Yeah. And it's that classic example of a program kind of working and needing some improvement needs a little bit more funding to really work, but it's kind of working. But instead they cut funding. They let the thing dilapidate and they say, Oh look, that's proof. hmm you know, a national health service would never work. Government-run healthcare will never work. Same thing with public housing. They did in Chicago and cities like it. They let it dilapidate. Then they say, oh, look, it's yeah, proof. These it's people can't can't take care of their own, you know, buildings. And, and you know, public housing yeah, doesn't work.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I will say this about the VA. Given everything you just said, just, it's just fresh in my mind. It's just a story in this. Um, <laughs> it, if you have emergency you have emergency uh, medical emergencies that need to be taken care of the folks I know who've gotten uh, taken care of the VA great service not a nickel doesn't call a a dear friend of mine open heart surgery and brain surgery it doesn't get more serious more major than that Bosker. and VA covered it both the surgeon who operated him uh was a a surgeon who's on loan from a a, a private hospital just down the road from it so everything in this I'm going to close with the, get your thoughts about Brett Stevens from the New York times, but I believe that part of the effort, the propaganda machine that the Bernie Sanders of the world are up against when they try to get America to come to grips with its insane healthcare system, go to a single payer is a distortion of what the VA system actually is. Do you follow what I'm saying? It's part of the fear mechanism, scaring people. The, you're going to get the VA. You know what I mean? Like and people don't even know what it is. Like public education. you're, oh no, I don't want to go to that school.
0: Do you follow what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. exactly. And it's it 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 kind of completely disproves the idea that Republicans actually care about veterans because they treat veterans like they treat fetuses. And that once they're they're kind of a you know in a faraway place and they you know like, like like you know they care about the unborn and they care about the soldiers when they're actually deployed but then when they become actual problems when they're out in the world when they're kind of like young children or when they're back home you know serving then they have nothing but contempt for them you know and this is the logic of, of republicanism you know this is the logic of what what they do it's all rhetoric you know they they say they care about these people they won't fund them because they have an ideological incentive to kind of let these institutions rot. Mm -hmm. All right, and
1: uh, to those lines, uh, I'd like to uh, get your thoughts on something that Brett Stevens wrote uh, in the New York Times. I've been sharing this with uh, many of my guests. Uh, Apparently, I'm one of the few people of the leftist persuasion who reads people from the right. I do it to see what they're coming up with, see what ideas they are, what counterarguments arguments are out there. As such, I have a regular reader of this gentleman named Brett Stevens, who is a right-wing correspondent for the New York Times, columnist for the New York Times. Uh, and in the aftermath of the debates last week, uh, he wrote a column uh, where I, he essentially was saying that the Democrats have uh, – cut their own throats so to speak their performances have alienated and isolated them from the great majority of americans who will now be uh frightened into voting for donald trump and this is what he wrote i will read it to you this is the words of brett stevens there's not the words of me i'm reading him, quoting brett stevens a writer for the new york times which is one of the biggest newspapers in america uh In last week's Democratic debates, it wasn't just individual candidates presented themselves to the public. It was also the party itself. It's a party that makes too many Americans feel like strangers in their own country. A party that puts more of its faith and invests most of its efforts in them instead of us. They speak Spanish. We don't. They are not U.S. citizens or legal residents. We are. They broke the rules to get into this country. We did not. They pay few or no taxes. We already pay most of those taxes. They willingly get themselves into debt. We asked to write. We're asked to write it off. This is so funny. Donald Trump talking about getting into debt. Anyway, I'm sorry. Uh, they uh, they don't pay the premiums for private health insurance. We're supposed to give up ours in exchange for some VA type nightmare. They don't start enterprises that create employment and drive innovation. We're expected to join the candidates in demonizing the job creators, breaking up their businesses and taxing them to their health. Your reaction?
0: Well, I feel bad for Brett Stevens and I feel bad for the 40% of Americans that are in the desert with him. And I say desert because in a desert society, you know, you uh, fight and live and you make marriages and you do all these things to fight for water, right? and you could never imagine let's say being in Chicago on a hot summer day if you're in one of these societies and seeing a cop or a fireman open up a hydrant for kids to play in because you all you know is that there's no water and you're just there's just scarcity there's nothing and your mind is warped by that scarcity but in fact there's plenty to go around you know when immigrants come to this country they're not coming to this country to not pay taxes and to take something from you they're coming to this country to work hard and take care of themselves and their families and they're contributing a lot to this, uh, you know, economy in this country when they do it. You know, I, I think this this mentality of of war of all against war, war of all You know, war of all against all, and so on. You know, this is just the mentality of of it's just a depressing kind of mindset. Imagine if that's your worldview. If you're going to sleep and you're not thinking about what you're going to do tomorrow, you're thinking about whether your neighbor is going to take something from you. And that's really what forty percent of Americans think, and it's a shame. Uh, I think it's not even in a political sense, a moral and ethical sense, a wellness sense is just a a terrible mindset. So, you know, this this man, if I was a New York Times columnist, he's probably raking in 200, 300 grand a year. I'd be much happier. I'd be writing happy go lucky columns. I wouldn't be worried about anyone coming across the border and taking something from me.
1: Absolutely. By the way, I presume he has an excellent health care plan as a columnist for the New York Times. And he's also probably supported by a union, which is fighting like hell to make sure he gets a pension and uh, health care uh, and a nice salary. So I think he would be a little more tolerant uh, of le- some of the lefties who've helped him over the years. Uh, but anyway, that's what the Democrats are going to be up against of Oscar uh, come next year's uh, election. It's already starting right now when you read columns like this. All right. Very good. I want to thank you very much uh, for stopping in. I know you got a lot of things to do here in Chicago before I let you go. One more time, tell folks the name of your book uh, and um, where they, the name of your magazine and all that good stuff.
0: Yeah. So check out Jackman, uh, jackmanmag.com. It's a democratic socialist publication. So if you're not familiar with democratic socialism, you know, you might agree, you might disagree, but check it out. And the book is The Socialist Manifesto.
1: Very good. Thank you so much, Bosker. I'm Ben Jarofsky.